Good morning, church. Hey, it's awesome to be here. It's great to see all of you. And uh, our purpose as a church is to make disciples together. If we could throw that slide up on the screen. And would y'all say this with me this morning? Our purpose is to make disciples together. If we're going to make disciples, we need a, a pattern. We need a curriculum. And we believe that the Bible, the Word of God, is our primary curriculum. It's our primary playbook for making disciples. Where do we go for answers? We go to Scripture. And if there's ever been a time when I've needed the promises of Scripture, it's been over these last eight, ten months. How about you? I, uh, I feel, this is how it feels to me. It feels a lot like the first day at a new school. Remember that feeling? Maybe you have middle schoolers. You, you remember your sixth grade boy the, the morning before he went to middle school for the first time? You thought he was going to throw up all night? You ever feel that way? I feel a little bit like Forrest Gump. He gets on the bus the first day of school. He walks to the first row of kids. Seats taken. When I look at my culture, the culture around us, they tell me the seat's taken. You don't have a voice. You don't have a place. There's times when, when I walk past the next row of seats and, and they say, seat's taken. Seat's taken. Seat's taken. And it makes us feel lonely. And it makes us feel anxious. And it makes us feel fearful. And it makes us want to protect what we have until... We meet our Jenny. His name is Jesus. And Jesus says, you can sit with me. And when I'm praying for you this morning, and I've been praying all week for you, even as I've been praying for me, is that I would be able to help you sit with Jesus. And that you would hear Jesus say your name, and more importantly, you would learn to say his name because his name is what will bring you from fear and loneliness and anxiety into a life of faith, a life of trust. Can I show you an amazing verse in Psalm 9, verse 10? In Psalm 9, verse 10, we read this. And those who know your name will put their trust in you for you O oh Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. You're not forsaken. You're not alone. What would bring you from fear to faith? What would bring you from loneliness to community with Jesus? What would bring you into a place of trust? The name. The name. It says right there, those who know your name will put their trust in you. This week, there's been a hymn. It's popped into my head several, several times. It's, it's the old hymn, Like a River Glorious. The chorus goes like this. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. 
The poetry of that song was written by a woman named Frances Havergal. She was on vacation in the south of Wales in 1876, and she got a cold. And the cold turned into a lung infection, and she was on her deathbed. Her friend said, we think you're going to die. And she said, thank you, Lord, I'm ready to go. She recovered, and as she reflected on her experience of peace in the midst of this illness that they thought was going to end in death, as she reflected on that, she wrote this, stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. Would you like that? Would you like that kind of perfect peace, perfect rest? It's found, not in a theology, it's found in a person who has a name, who's revealed himself on every page of scripture. His name is Yahweh, Jehovah. It's who we're going to meet this morning. So take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Last week, we left off, and Moses had been called by God in this amazing experience, a bush that is burning but not consumed. And God calls Moses, and he says to Moses, you are going to be my instrument to bring about this deliverance. Verse 10, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Moses, we're going to look next week at some of his excuses. But Moses is a great excuse maker. But God, who am I? God says, don't worry about who you are. I'll be with you. And I promise you, if you will lean into who I am, then you will bring a people to this mountain and they will worship me. So Moses has another question. Verse 13, Moses said to God, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel and I'll say to him, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Moses says, listen, God, this sounds good. You're going to go with me. Just one question. Um, who are you? God says, I am that I am. God says, I am. God says, I am Yahweh, the Lord. God reveals his name, his memorial name, his special name. He says, I am that I am. I am self-existent. I'm independent. I don't depend on anyone for my being. Before anything was, I am. 
I am that I am. The most important verse in the Bible is the first verse, and it begins this way. In the beginning, God. The Bible doesn't prove God's existence. The Bible demands God's existence. The Bible says there is a God. He has always been. There was a time when there was no universe, but there has never been a time when there was no God. He is. I am that I am. He is the self-existent one. So why is our world falling apart? Why am I falling apart? Why are we falling apart? What has happened to our world? And the answer that the Bible would give is that we have forgotten God. We are like cut flowers. We look beautiful. We can put these cut flowers on our table and they're beautiful and they still smell beautiful. But we're cut flowers and eventually we'll wilt. Why? Because we've been separated from God. We've been separated from the source of life. Why is it important to find our hope, to find our trust in someone who is self-existent that doesn't depend upon us? Because it's only if our hearts can find rest in a self-existent person that you and I can find security. In God alone do we find some place where our hearts can be secure, that it's deep enough and solid enough and real enough, that's not dependent upon the passing opinions of this world, but that's solid. That is the I am that I am. He's the self-existent God. You can count on him. He's sure. Your life doesn't have to be a cut flower. Your life can be buried deep into who God is. I am that I am. He says, I am. He's self-existent. He's a personal God. He longs for us to know him, to be in relationship with him. God is not a set of propositions. He's a person. He's not an idea or a theology. He's a person. He is the I am that we can relate to and know. He longs to reveal himself to you this morning. He's the I am and he has a name. His name is Yahweh, the Lord. Over 6,800 times in the Bible, the word Yahweh is found. Yahweh, I am. Yahweh, Memorial name of God, the God that if God were to put on a name tag, it would say Yahweh. You say, well, I've never seen that word in my Bible. Well, in the third commandment, God says, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, hallowed be your name. The name of God is a special name. It's a memorial name. And so Israel, as they had their scriptures, when they would be reading through their scriptures and they would come upon this special name of God, Yahweh, these four letters, they would say Adonai. And it's the Hebrew word for Lord. And so when our Bibles were translated into English, if you look at your Bible this morning, you'll see that in verse 15, the Lord is in all caps, in all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And it's that way all 6,800 times 
in the Old Testament scriptures, when you come across this word, Yahweh, you'll find the word LORD in all caps. And every time you see that, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's the name Yahweh. It's God's name tag that he's saying to you, I want to know you. I want to be in relationship with you. That, you'll come across this word in all but one book of the Old Testament. You'll come across this word. If it were spread evenly out throughout the Old Testament, it would be every fourth verse. It's God's call to you into relationship. Do you want to know a God? who's solid, trust the self-existent one, I am that I am. You want to know a God who longs to be in relationship with you, who will say to you, this seed isn't taken. Come, sit, stay a while. His name is Yahweh. He's the self-existent one. He's the personal God. He is the promise-keeping God. He's the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, and he will not go back on any one of his promises. And his greatest promise of all is this, eternal life. His greatest promise of all is eternal life, and it comes through a name. It comes through a name. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved but the name of Jesus. Acts 4 Verse 12, the promise of eternal life is sure because our God is a promise-keeping God and he's revealed the name, the name of Jesus as the way through which sinners can be made right with God and have life eternal. Do you know him? Do you know the self-existent, eternal, infinite God of the Bible? His name is Yahweh. He's a personal God, and he's made himself real, mostly, clearly, in the person of Jesus Christ. And he says in that name, the name of Jesus, there is eternal life. And in no other name, what a promise, what a Savior. Verse 16, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, there it is, all caps, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will pay heed to what you say. And you, with the elders of Israel, will come to the king of Egypt, and you will say to him, The Lord, there it is, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now, please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. 
I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters. Thus you will plunder the Egyptians. What happens? What happens in a people? What happens in a person when the name of God the self-existent, personal, promise-keeping God comes into the very center of our lives. Look at what happens. A people who for hundreds of years have had their backs against the wall, abused, mistreated, suffering, enslaved, that people suddenly stands up straight. And the elders, the leaders of that people, stand up straight and they march into the office of the most powerful person in the world and they say, we are going to worship our God. What could happen if the name of God was so real to us that we had the boldness to stand up everywhere and anywhere and proclaim the glory of the one whose name has come into our lives, come into the very center of our lives. God takes these elders whose lives have been marked by suffering, insignificance, weakness, brokenness, enslavement, and he turns them from frightened field mice into roaring lions. And he can do the same for you. That's what happens when the name of God comes into the center of your life. That's what happens when God is the Lord. When God, Yahweh, comes in, he changes everything. But he doesn't make everything easy. Because when they go to Pharaoh and they stand for truth and they proclaim the good news that God has called them uniquely to go and worship him, Pharaoh says, no way. And they make such a reasonable request. God, listen, or Pharaoh, listen, just three days. Three days journey. We're going to go down to Mount Horeb. We're going to go down to Mount Sinai. We're going to worship God there. And Pharaoh says, no. See, the problem with obedience, the problem with our obedience, the problem with the world's obedience is when we tell the world to be good, when we tell the world to try harder, to be moral, their problem is not that they know the commands or don't know the commands. Their problem is that they're at enmity with God. The problem of sin is not that we disobey God's commands. The problem of sin is that we hate God. Pharaoh won't let the people go, not because the request is unreasonable. Pharaoh won't let the people go because he hates God and he hates his people. The resistance that you and I will face in this world is irrational. It doesn't make sense. Unless God, the Holy Spirit, works in the heart of a human being to give them an awareness of their need of Christ and to give them an understanding of who Christ is, then they won't get it. And they'll resist you and they'll resist God and they'll resist the gospel. Even though all the gospel invites people to do is to believe, they'll resist. 
because there is a hatred inside all of us at birth against God and against the things of God unless God moves in by his spirit to settle accounts, to settle relationship, to make himself real. So that's what we have to pray. We have to pray that the God of the Bible would become so real to our friends and our family and our co-workers and our teammates that they couldn't help themselves but say yes to trusting Christ. It's a work of God's grace. It's a work of God's favor. And that's what Israel would discover. Why are they special? They're special because God's favor, his grace rests upon them. I will grant this people favor, verse 21. I'll give them grace. Why are you unique? Why am I unique? Is it because we're good? No, it's because of grace. It's because of Christ. What do we go into the world to proclaim? That the God of grace has come near. His name is Yahweh. But there's one more step. And that is this. That Jesus... Jesus is the great I am. That step will open up the entire Bible to you. That step will unlock the glory of Jesus Christ in every page of Scripture. It will open your Bible and you will understand your Bible for the first time, not as a book about you, but as a book about Jesus, a book about Yahweh who has come near, God with us. The Bible is not a collection of moral fables. The Bible is a story about Jesus, the great I am. Jesus claimed for himself the title I am. Let me show you that in John chapter 8. Verse 56, John chapter 8, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. You say, Dave, I don't get it. I don't see the connection. I am. Yahweh. Is it the same? Well, look at the reaction. How do we know that it's the same? How do we know that Jesus is claiming to be the great I am, the God of the Bible? Look at their reaction. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus was attacked not because he claimed to be a good moral teacher. Jesus was attacked because he claimed to be Yahweh, God in the flesh with us. Jesus was hated not because he was a good moral teacher, but because he claimed to be equal with the Father. Jesus was killed, not because he was a good moral teacher. He was killed because it was the only way for you and I to be forgiven and for us to be reconciled to God. There is one thing that you are not allowed to believe. 
and that is that Jesus is a good man. Jesus is God with us. He is not only a good man. He is not only a good prophet. He is not only a good moral teacher. He is the infinite God-man, fully God and fully man, so that as man, he could do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, live a life of obedience to the Father. And so that as God, he could do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, which was to die in our place with a sacrifice that was big enough to satisfy the wrath of God. He alone is qualified for the work of salvation because he alone is the great I am, fully God and fully man in one person. Jesus is not a good man. He's not a good moral teacher. He is the infinite God-man. Trust him. He doesn't He doesn't allow us to believe that he's just a good man. C.S. Lewis said it this way. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be a devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He didn't intend to. What did he intend to do? He intended to save you. And he intended to save me. And he intended to come into your life, into my life, and to everyone who would trust in his life. He intended to come in as the I am. It's not enough just to say Jesus is the great I am. You have to say, he's my great I am. Have you? Let me help you. Let me take it another step further. Seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes unique statements about his identity as the great I am. He says, I am the bread of life. Are you longing for something that only God himself could satisfy? His name is Jesus, the great I am. He says, I'm the bread of life. He says, I'm the light of the world. Are you worried about tomorrow? Christ offers himself as a guide. He offers himself as the light for your path. I am the door of the sheep. Do you struggle to be assured that God loves you because he loves you because he loves you? Jesus says, I'm the door. Come in and you'll have assurance of the love of the Father because of me. I'm the good shepherd. Do you wonder if you're loved? The good shepherd laid down his life for you. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm the resurrection and the life. You ever wonder what happens when we die? Jesus says, I am is what happens. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, I am the true vine. How do you find that place on the bus? 
Where can you find a person who'll say, sit with me, stay a while, I love you, I enjoy spending time with you. Jesus says, abide with me, I'm the true vine, I'm the living vine. If you hang out with me, then I'll help you become the person you were designed to be. I am. I am. Do you know him? Are you leaned into him? Are you trusting him today? Are you receiving from him bread and light and a door and a shepherd and a vine and a resurrection and a life and a way, the truth and the life? Are you trusting him? Won't you? Won't you this week live a wonder-filled life with Jesus? Live a wonder-filled life with Jesus, and I want to help you. Somewhere around you on your seat, there's an a, a envelope. You can open it now. And inside are the seven I, great I am's of Jesus in John. And what I'm inviting you to do this week is to open this up every day. Keep it in your Bible. Put it on your refrigerator, but open it up every day. And I want you to take the I am, and I want you to lean into it. I want you to know the name of the Lord that you might trust in him. Let me show you how that would work. Let's take John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus, you're the great I am. You say that, that you're the light of the world. Jesus, shine the light into my life. Would you, would you show me all the crud? But don't leave me there in my crumminess. Don't leave me there in my, in my mess. Jesus, would you clean me up? Would you forgive all my sins? Would you restore to me the joy of my salvation today? You're the light of the world. You reveal how much I need you, and then you cover me in your love. You cover me in forgiveness. You cover me in grace. You're the light of the world. Jesus, I don't know where our country's going. I don't know where our world is going, but I know the one who's light to my path. I know you are the light of the world, and you'll show me where you want me to go. Jesus. You're the light of the world. You, by your light, would you shine your light on my life that like a plant brings in sunshine, would you shine on me that I might have life within my life? Your light in me. Jesus, you're the light of the world. Would you shine through me to others? Would you shine through me to others so that in seeing your light, they might turn to you? And leave this kingdom of darkness, leave this world of darkness, and run into the kingdom of light that is found in you. Oh, would you spend time with Jesus this week and, and open up every one of the I am's and begin to say to Jesus, Jesus, you're the great I am. Jesus, you're my great I am. And then when someone comes to you this week and and they say, yeah, can you help me with something? I'm really struggling to, to make a decision in my life. Could you help me? And you say to them, you know, it really seems like you, 
your life seems pretty dark. You don't know where to go. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Man, it just everything's sort of cloudy, and, and I don't know where to go. Would, would you like to know someone who's light? His name is Jesus. He says, I am the light of the world. Jesus, Jesus said, I am. I am. Jesus said, those who know my name will put their trust in me. For I, the Lord, have not forsaken those who seek him. Oh, that this week, this week we would be a group of people who open up God's great I am. And we press it down into our hearts so that we could exchange fear for freedom, so that we could exchange anxiety for trust. How do we get there? By knowing the name. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the great I am. Stayed upon you, Jesus. Stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts fully blessed. Finding as you promised perfect peace and rest. Jesus, would you be at work now by your Holy Spirit? Would you be at work now by, by your Holy Spirit, showing each person in this room and, and all those who are watching online, showing us our need of you? Showing us that God-shaped hole in every single one of our hearts that can only be filled by the great I Am. Holy Spirit, would you direct our hearts to one of these seven great I am's of Jesus? That our hearts would grab hold of it this week. And then in knowing your name, we would trust in you. Which is it for you? Have you come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord yet? If you've never trusted the promise of, of eternal life in Jesus, won't you? Won't you simply say to Jesus now, Jesus, I've sinned against you in many ways, and I'm sorry. I believe you died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead. Forgive me all my sins and give me the gift of eternal life. Come into my life as Savior and Lord Help me become the person you want me to be. Jesus, thank you. When every other seat on the bus is closed to us, you're never closed to us. We trust you now and pray in your name.